0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hi, hello, everybody. Welcome to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins, hanging out on this beautiful, beautiful day in Southern California. And I have a director of a feature-length film on the episode this day this day being Wednesday, hopefully you're downloading on Wednesday, because uh, you need to go to the Regent Theater in downtown Los Angeles on Wednesday, the 20th, because uh, The Icarus Line Must Die is a film that I've watched. You, If you have any sort of affiliation with independent music, you will enjoy it. And especially if you know the band, The Icarus Line. And even if you don't, you will like this film. So, Go to the region Theater tonight and you will be able to see the premiere of this thing. But uh, hold, let, let's put this in context, right? I'm just like throwing dates out at you and stuff like that. But So Michael Grodner, he is uh, the director of this film, The Icarus Line Must Die. And I actually worked with him uh, a long time ago on a music video for the band Planes Mistaken for Stars when I was working at Century Media. And uh, I just thought he was an awesome guy, just super professional, We were able to get this video done uh, very efficiently and cheaply, and it was awesome. Like It was just a very thematic video. They had a lot of great stuff going on uh, in the video, just stuff that I was like, oh, wow, Like this is a great treatment. And uh, yeah, so when this came across my desk, I was like, I would love to have Michael on. So hold on. Let's get some other things that are top of mind into your mind so you do this. And that thing that you need to do is buy band merch, right? I love, I still love buying merch from bands. I have so, so many shirts and uh, I I love that because, I mean, fortunately, I get to work in a position where I can wear a different band shirt every day and that is my work uniform (laughs) and uh, rockabilia. That is what I'm trying to tell you. Rockabilia is the place to purchase merch from every band you could possibly imagine. They have half a million items, everything from long sleeves to sweatshirts to hats. You name it, they got it. And I will give you 15% off by using the code PC PCJabberjaw. PCJabberJaw will get you 15% off. And they have so much merch. It's officially licensed. <laughs> that was words being in my mouth. It's officially licensed. And uh, that means the band gets paid and you have nothing to worry about as far as the quality is concerned. It's awesome. I love what they do and you need to support them. PC Jabberdock, 15% off. Thank you, Rockabilia. We love that. Rockabilia.com, that obviously. I mean, if you don't know that, you can probably just Google Rockabilia and you'll be able to find it. But um, so, like I said, the Icarus line must die. Is a feature-length film, and it is based around the band, the Icarus Line. Uh, there is elements of truth to it, but it's you know essentially a uh, you know a film based around fiction with uh, actual people who are the you know band members. <laughs> so Joe, the vocalist of the Icarus Line, is uh, you know the the starring role, as it were. But like I said, it's playing at the Regent Theater tonight. And uh, it also has a couple-week stint at the Royal Theater in West Los Angeles. And then on July 10th, it is hitting video on demand. And I really, really recommend it because it's this uh, interesting mixture of, you know, like punk filmmaking. Um, But then it also has a lot of uh, sort of Jim Jarmusch just really spending time with the characters. And you don't really feel like you're in a movie per se, you're just basically existing in this universe and hanging out. And I, I found it to be really compelling because uh, it, I, like I said, if you've ever known of the band or you've ever spent time in Los Angeles, so much of this film will be right up your alley. And even if you haven't, you will still find so much to enjoy about this. So, Anyways, and then I I just thought Michael was a very interesting person living, you know, in the Hollywood industry, but then also having a large affinity for independent music. And uh, I've never had a person that is a director from, you know, making music videos. So a lot of stuff came together about this. Anyways, enough of me. And here, here, here is Michael and my conversation. Okay. I'll talk to you after the episode is over. to you which was obviously our work together with planes mistaken for stars um and you know you doing the music video for them and uh, you know a lot of my job then was obviously to kind of figure out people to you know work with because it was a weird time when the music industry was changing where you know music videos were still important but as you have noted um that you know budgets just didn't exist where it was like hey can you do this for like three dollars and directors are like uh i i can i can try but i don't know how this will work um right but then i i always uh i I always respected the fact that it was like the um you know the people that i work with such as yourself and you know a few others that stuck out in my head that you were you were down to do it on a shoestring budget but you also put a lot of you know your own artistic effort into it whereas you know sometimes you work with people that you kind of get what you pay for, you know? Um, but you definitely did not have that, uh, experience in my eyes. Um, but the, it it seemed to to me, you know, obviously you've always been drawn to film and working in the visual medium, but you know, when you were working with these bands and doing the music videos, it seems like you really had to care about it. And I know that's kind of a basic statement, but like, it, it, it seems to kind of come through. I presume that's kind of the, the approach that you had in all these music videos. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I, I think I've done maybe about 15 music videos. Um, so, so it's not like I've done a hundred where it's sort of like, uh, you know, I'm just kind of on a conveyor belt, you know? And uh, so every one I did, you know, I treated in a very precious way and, uh, you know, put, put a lot of, you know, heart and soul into it because, uh, well, I, for, for one, I, you know, I love doing it and I, I really enjoyed it and loved the music and that kind of, you know, convergence in a sense of music and film. So, uh, you know, there's that, uh, but you know, I think anything I do, you know, that I'm going to put out there for people to see, I, I, I just definitely want to put my all into. Oh,
0: totally. I mean, it it makes sense, but I, I mean, I, I guess to a certain extent too, where, uh, yes, like, you know, you can use these music videos as, as calling cards for your resume and everything like that. And yeah, last thing you want to do is put forth a, you know, inferior product, so to speak. But, um, I just always noticed like with the uh, particular bands that you worked with as well, where there was always this real, um, I guess, artistic slant to them because, you know, you, of course you could do the proverbial, Hey, let's put a band in a warehouse and play, have them play their song. And like, that's it. You know, there's nothing, maybe there's a little narrative, you know, but all the videos that you approached was they're very thematic and had a lot of stuff going on rather than just the traditional, let's watch a band play live.
1: Well, yeah. Again, also it's, yeah, you know, what videos do I want to see? Uh, and, and I do feel like a lot of the performance videos that you do see, <clears throat> you know, I think you get bored after about 30 seconds of a performance video, unless it's just an amazing song and amazing performance. So I think you need to give the, uh, viewer more than that. and, and, and I think it ties into the film, The Icarus Line Must Die, that so I, I feel a lot of the time, in addition to really cool imagery, you know, if you do have a video for a uh, you know, three minute song or th- more longer, you, you need to keep the audience's attention. And I think a storyline does that. You know, if you have a beginning and a middle and end, you want to stick around to see what happens at the end. Uh, so that was my thought a lot of the times with these videos.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. You want to keep people, you know, ho- hooked for lack of a better term or interested in the in what is unfolding. And, you know, uh, it'll serve two purposes. It'll be entertaining and then it'll also introduce people to hopefully, you know, a cool song and a cool band.
1: Yeah. And, and also, I guess the time we were doing it, too, uh, which was probably around at least 10 years ago, uh, maybe a little bit more uh, know, videos are somewhat disposable for people, you know, you can just click on and and, and see something and and then continue clicking, you know, so you want them to stick around for a while.
0: Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, that, and I think that was where that sort of transitionary phase existed where, you know, MTV had less of the stranglehold where, you know, not only were they playing fewer and fewer music videos, but, you know, the sort of, the sort of edgier independent stuff just didn't have a place until, you know, st- streaming started to be a, you know, a- incredibly important component, not only of the consumption of music, but the consumption of music videos. But it was that fallow era of like, you know, two thousand. Whatever, four to two thousand eight or nine before, and it's not like the budgets crept back up, but people were just like, "Who's even watching music videos? Are these relevant anymore?" You know,
1: right? And it's funny, I do still get that today. I mean, I'm 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 still interested in doing working with bands on music videos, but and then I, sometimes I get from the label like, "Well, you know, nobody's really watching. Who? I don't watch videos anymore." That's what I get some some comments from, say, label heads. But then you go on YouTube and you see, you know, some of these videos get a ridiculous amount of, you know, uh, you know, well, you know, people watching it. So I think there's there's still there's still an audience there, may, maybe more than ever. I,
0: I really agree. I, I think the it's almost um, just as important to do a visual component as when you're picking out, you know, the first song you're going to release on the internet to people. You know, it's like those are. Hand in hand they need to be you know in sync with one another in order for people that are you know like you said just kind of clicking around um trying to f- find new stuff to be exposed to you got to have some interesting visual presence because yeah otherwise you're just you know you're completely missing an entire platform you know
1: right right i mean you know that's where people you immediately go to youtube when you hear of a band you know yeah for sure um
0: so you know kind of putting the spotlight on on you as a person um you were not born and raised in la correct
1: No, I'm, I'm from, uh, I'm from Queens, New York. So I, i born in Queens, New York and, and lived there, you know, till I was 17. Then I came out to LA. I went to film school at USC and that's kept me here. Um, and I've stayed here ever since. So, uh, yeah, I'm originally in New York. Sure.
0: Sure. Right. You, you, you have the, uh, a little of your accent creeps out occasionally, just like, just occasionally. (laughs)
1: Right. <laughs> when I start start drinking it really comes out. So
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Um, any moment
1: now for we'll start here.
0: That's perfect. I, I should I should note that we're doing this before noon, so <laughs> um but the, uh, you, you know, your your trajectory in regards to the fact that you have always been interested in, you know, independent minded music and stuff like that, and especially, obviously, with your, you know, the the film you're putting out, um, you know, where did kind of independent music start to infiltrate your your life? I mean, you know, clearly being raised in New York City had a, a large cultural impact, but you know, when did that stuff start to creep into your life?
1: Well, I guess for me, like, uh, yeah. As a kid, I mean a very little kid, the first band that made an impression on me in a big way, or I want to say maybe the first show I ever saw was Kiss, and because in a way that also I, I was you know always into film, and I was always into horror films, and then Kiss came along and you had you know horror films and and music together, which was like yeah the best thing in the world for me as an 11 year old kid. Uh, but, uh, I guess when I, you know, I've always been into interesting music, stuff that's off the beaten path and, you know, not necessarily the, you know, the popular stuff. And, uh, you know, as far as punk or, or indie music, I was, I always loved guitar music and well you know, Ramones or The Clash or more obscure stuff. And, but when I, I remember coming out to LA, the thing, the three bands, I just remember these three bands that really, had an impact on me. And this is when things kind of changed was who's could do, uh, replacements and the minute men. Mm-hmm. And, and those, though, I mean, when those records, um, came out around that time, that, that kind of changed everything for me in a sense, music wise. And, uh, I mean, I have a wide taste in music, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, the cool thing is it's like, you know, over and then over the years, as my sort of as things turns that I've took in terms of my career or things that I do um, now, I'm you know, I, I put on shows with Mike Watt of the Minutemen and, and we shoot, you know, we've shot interviews with him. Uh, so it's it's kind of a nice thing that kind of comes full circle in a way
0: totally because then these people that you looked uh, you either looked up to or just respected their artistic output now you can be kind of you know peers in the same level where you're just like even though you yourself will never you know kind of put yourself in the same league as these people because you looked up to their music so much or whatever but you're like oh yeah like we're kind of doing you know like different things but they're all kind of related in this weird you know punk rock world and yeah that's cool when you can kind of have that level playing field in a way
1: well totally it's like well you know it's I mean, I'm sure you 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 have the same exact experience, but it's like, for instance, Cursive, the band Cursive. Um, I was listening to them when they were putting out their you know earliest records as a fan, and then when I started doing music videos, I I think I reached out to them, or I, I think that's how it worked out. But I you know ended up doing two music videos with them, and and now I mean I just saw Tim from uh, Cursive the other day. We were just chatting about. He also is directing films, so we had a kind of common bond there. But it's always nice when you you know you're fans of a band. The next thing you know, you're working with them and hanging out with them, having a beer with them. You know,
0: yeah, no, that's really cool. Especially too, where you always see, um, you know, the intersection of people that get interested in subcultures. Whether like you mentioned, you know, you being into horror movies when you were younger, and then you know it kind of almost predisposes you from getting into you know weird subcultures in other facets of art you know whether it's like music or you know like you know actual art as far as well i say actual like you know paintings and stuff like that because it's all art but you and then you see people um like you mentioned tim where you know he clearly was very successful as far as a musician is concerned but then you know his interest and passion start to develop where he's like yeah i want to do film and more of that stuff and you know how they all kind of co-mingle
1: yeah um yeah, I guess you know, but but I guess we all have that 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 side to us. I, I guess what you were saying is that that sort of subculture of say horror films and, and getting deeply into that, and then the kind of the subculture of getting into say SST bands. Um, it's you know you just have this uh, predilection for getting into things that just aren't you know maybe may right in front of you, maybe not in the mainstream. And it, it extends to different, uh, you
0: know, art types types of art. Yeah, for sure. And I think the, the – I guess the common trait that I see amongst, um, you know, getting into that sort of stuff too is just the um, obsessive nature of it because, you know, most uh, – m- whatever, you know, stereotypical sort of mainstream art, whether it's, you know, movies, you know f- – uh, music, all that sort of stuff, you know, it's meant to be a very sort of uh, transactional relationship where it's like, okay, I see the thing and then I, I leave the theater and then like, that's all, you know, I don't really contemplate it much beyond the actual experience. But, you know, these subcultures that we've been involved in, when you dive in, you go like, you know, neck deep into it you, You're obsessed with it, you're trying to figure out All of the, like, okay, Mike Watt has done All of these records, and then he's also played with These other bands, and like, you get obsessive And I think it, you know, in the same way that you can be obsessive about Like, oh my gosh, I need to see every Dario Argento movie made You know, and then you start to collect this weird Pastiche of obsessions And it, it's, it is interesting how it Fleshes itself out like that
1: Yeah, and the thing is, it never ends <laughs> you, know, you keep I'm still doing it, you know, still still up until two in the morning, uh, you know, watching, you know, the Monty Hellman uh, uh, canon of films. Uh, So he did a movie called uh, Tulane Blacktop, and I've been just kind of obsessing over these Westerns he did in the middle 60s. But anyhow, yeah.
0: no no, but still, but like i I do think that you, I mean you hit on a really key component that I think a lot of people run into um, you know as they get older and as obligations start to seep into their lives from you know either a professional or you know they have families and like your time becomes more um, uh, of a commodity because you know you, there's less of it to go around a lot of people you know kind of uh, they they turn away from the, the uh, whether it's obsessive nature or um, they just don't find the time to be able to, you know, do these things. And I think that's when, or, or be excited about, you know, uncovering new bands or directors or whatever, it just kind of runs into a wall. And then, you know, people kind of like leave it to the side, which, you know, that's fine if that's what you're into, but I think you got to keep trying, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I haven't found that. I haven't found that, that where I, you know, I'm, I, it's just part of my nature. I think that I'm interested in finding out new stuff and find, and, and, and delving deep into that. I mean, I still have, I like, you know, a sense of history and and still uncovering a lot of music that I really didn't listen to. But, you know, now I think you have a, it's, you have a little easier road. Like if you go on Spotify and you can pop up, you know, you know, suicide or something like that, and that maybe something that kind of wasn't on your radar 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you know, it's a little easier, which is pretty cool.
0: Totally. I mean, there's definitely no, um, I mean, there's late the the feeling of being late to the party, you know, still exists, but you know, you, like you said, you can, uh, of course, you can't transport back in time and see, you know, suicide perform in New York city, but you can contextually dive into an artist and, understand where they're coming from and still have it impact you in a major way, even though, you know, they haven't existed for 30 plus years. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm so glad I found this now.
1: <laughs> right. I And I and also, you, you know, for better or worse, you still have a lot of these bands getting back together, doing reunion tours, maybe more now than ever. But maybe they were always doing these kind of oldies these tours, you know, like if you didn't see the Pixies back in the day, you're going to be able to see them Pretty much every year for the next who knows how long. (laughs) Totally,
0: totally. And especially, too, like you always have those conversations of the, uh, you know, the Holy Grail bands where it's just like, oh, yeah, of course you're never going to be able to say this band. And then it's like, you know, almost every single corner, like as long as the, you know, seminal or founding (laughs) band members are alive, you're probably going to be able to see them. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, it's funny. Uh, We, you know, when I was younger, like in junior high school, I used to be into uh, the band Yes, and then uh, slowly I started getting back into them. And we went to go see them the other a couple of months ago. But it wasn't. <laughs> but now there's two Yeses, right? There's Yes with John Anderson, and then there's Yestival. I think that's what it is, or the, at least that's what I went to go see. I went to something <laughs> called Yestival. <laughs>
0: That's had no idea that that split off into two things. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So as you know, Steve Howe is on one in one band, and John Anderson is another. And the Steve Howe band has a guy that's like a sound a a Steve Howe a a John Anderson sound-alike. It's pretty good, and um, (laughs) and yeah. So, but but you got Steve Howe who's pretty, you know, ridiculously great. Right. So that was it. Was pretty solid. Pretty solid. You know, obviously you want to see the whole band together, but. Yeah.
0: But yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't win them all. You can see, you know, as long as you're seeing a version of it, that's like, okay, yeah, there's some members and they're,
1: they're sounding awesome. Then I'm into it. Right. It's not quite Beatlemania, but it's kind of almost close. Like the, the bass player was big. It wasn't Chris Squire because he's dead, but they introduced him as the man that Chris Squire handpicked to play bass. So. There's some connection, you know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. There's. They yeah. didn't just throw a wig on a guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. So
0: some dude they found a guitar center. Like, hey, uh, hey, you're a shredder. How about you come play with us?
1: <laughs> but but I did see Emerson Lake and Palmer too on that same show. But the only guy left is is, uh, uh, is Palmer. Mm-hmm. So uh, and and both I think the two other guys are dead. So they did have two guys who are like literally guitar center guys on either side of Carl Palmer,
0: right? Um, I, I guess <laughs> I, I guess there are stranger ways to make your living, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, it seemed to be having a good time. That's it. that's good. That's good.
0: Oh, I'm very excited to tell you about the sound of vinyl. It's no surprise that vinyl is a huge part of my life and many other people's because it sounds incredible, looks great, and it's fun to collect. The only problem is, is there's so much out there, but that is where. The Sound of Vinyl comes in. Their mission is to help you build the perfect collection. They got a website where you can shop over 20,000 titles and an amazing recommendation service that can learn about your personal taste and offer personalized suggestions of records that you'll love. It works over text message. It's super simple. They'll text you an offer for an album, and if you want to buy it, all you have to do is reply yes. You can even text back to chat with a real live human who can help you find the perfect record. Plus, they got collectible limited edition colored vinyl that you won't find anywhere else from artists like Weezer, Beach Boys, John Coltrane, Aerosmith, R.E.M., Kiss, and so much more. Plus, there are no subscription fees and no commitments. Give it a try. Go to soundofvinyl.com words and sign up for the tech service to get $5 off your first record. Again, that is soundofvinyl.com words for 5 bucks off your first record. I cannot tell you how cool this service is. I bought multiple records from there. I got the Smashing Pumpkin Siamese Dream reissue on Double LP. It's beautiful. I got the Killers Hot Fuss record. Basically, this is the perfect service for people who are just starting their collection or people like myself who have over a 1,000 copies. Well, not a 1,000 copies, but a 1,000 pieces of vinyl, and I'm trying to fill some holes. So, soundofvinyl.com words. I love this service, and so will you. Okay? Now on with the show. And so kind of, you know, like, I mean, I've seen you mention in, you know, other interviews where you knew at a very, very early age that you were, you know, interested in filmmaking. And clearly, you know, the your love for music that you kind of, you know, just laid out. You know, the the principles in, you know, DIY filmmaking where, you know, you're not given a budget by a large studio and the principles of, you know, being in a DIY, like, you know, punk, hardcore rock, whatever you want to call it, band are, you know, very, very similar. When, when did you kind of notice those two principles kind of like, you know, lining
1: up with one another where you're like, Oh, I, I see that they're both kind of similar. I, you know, I've, I mean, it's one of these things where it's like, it it's, you know, you, you have two choices. You either do something with very little or you just don't do it. And I'd rather do the, do something, you know? So that's, uh, that, that, that's one aspect of it, but yeah, I've always loved, I've always loved things that are rough around the edges and, and I've always strived for this kind of authenticity, which you hear in, in punk or indie and stuff that's maybe got, has, has this lo fi aesthetic to it. Uh, and, and I think you can't get that authenticity. If you throw you know, $20 million at something, um, you lose that authenticity. So, um, You know, while I think everybody who makes movies wants to, you know, wants the budget, wants the the kind of the the, it's a lot easier to work with with a budget and and be able to use all the tools and the tricks and the the gadgets. But, you know, if you're working with very little, you what you do have in your back pocket is the that authenticity, which, uh, you know, you can't throw money at.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, it, there's no way that you could ever look at, uh, you know, some of the early, you know, uh, punk movies that were, you know, specifically focused, uh, you know, whether it's suburbia or, you know, decline of Western civilization. Um, I mean, decline is obviously a documentary, but the, um, there's no way that you could like throw money at that and make it better, you know? like no,
1: It would be terrible. No,
0: it would, it would be awful. In, yeah.
1: In, in a w- weird way. Um, there was that, uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, um, a show on HBO, um, vinyl, vinyl, yeah, which was that case, you know, totally
0: that's a true point.
1: Which, which was, I mean, for me, I it was not my thing, and I'm a huge Scorsese fan, and I just I just did not go for it, it just read so false to me. And it, you know, here's a movie that should be right in my wheelhouse and probably your wheelhouse, but or a show, yeah and it was just so fake you know just so fake so uh yeah i mean i yeah so I, there's a case where where money does not help
0: totally yeah exactly it's like you um I mean, a movie that came out, I want to say it was either one or a year ago or two, I think maybe two years ago, uh, Green Room, or a- A24 put it out. And it was a very, very accurate representation of what it's like to, you know, be in a sort of touring punk band. I mean, it was, you know, done in a sort of horror type, you know, uh, genre. Did you see that film?
1: I did, I did, I enjoyed it. I liked that movie.
0: And it's like it, it, to have that actually happen and be successful is like you know I I, I think people like you and I will watch it and be like oh my gosh like I can't believe this is good because you go into it being like this is probably going to be terrible you know <laughs> right
1: The director is a good a good director. Uh, he did that movie Blue Rune right before it, so he's you know he's solid. Totally, I, I like that picture.
0: Yeah, yeah, very incompetent hands. put yeah, Jeremy Saulnier and like he and I think the reason he was able to lend so much uh of uh, credibility to that uh aspect is the fact that like you know he comes from the same background as you know you and I did as far as like you know whatever the punk hardcore independent music scene so it's like yeah a person that has the context is going to be able to deliver it much better like you said the sort of authenticity behind it
1: right yeah and and you know what also a love for it um you know we we probably love the music and I I do love working with bands and and musicians it's it's uh, i i I I do enjoy it a lot.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Because, I mean, I'm sure it just fills fills the room with a certain energy that is tough to capture, uh, you know, if you are looking at it from, you know, like, I'm just hiring you to do a job, you know, everyone's kind of creatively contributing in ways that, you know, might not happen in other uh, environments.
1: And and also, um, you know, I'm not a musician and I, I can't, I really can't play any instruments. I can't sing. I can't do any of that but i am really into music and in that the process fascinates me and and just the whole the whole everything around it fascinates me it's interesting to me so i get into that sort of nitty-gritty and and that's interesting to me and i like to kind of show that show what's going on
0: yeah no that's really cool um your, uh, so you, reflecting on your experience at, you know, USC Film School, which is, of course, you know, a very, uh, you know, w- w- the, um, reputation precedes itself, um, as far as, you know, just the opportunities that it creates, um, not from a, like a relationship standpoint, but you know, learning the technical aspects of like, this is what you need to do in order to like capture this on film and all of the uh, technical aspects of it. Um, you know, and then I, I'm not going to hash the debate of like, Oh, is film school worth it? Because it's like, it's such a stupid conversation in my opinion, because it's like, well, for some people it is. And for some people it isn't like, (laughs) there's no, (laughs) there's no uh, definitive answer. Totally. Um, Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, but the, um, would you say, I guess kind of the most valuable thing that you got out of it was just the fact that it gave you sort of that foundational aspect of like, this is how I capture uh, my vision. And now I have a vocabulary in which to describe how to actually capture it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I'm I'm also very much, uh, you know, kind of a purist in a sense where where I think it's important to know the basics when you're going go into a film and and then you know, you, you know, the basics of how to, how to put together a classic movie and then you can go in and do whatever the hell you want. But as long as you kind of know those basics and kind of the rules that you want to break. So I think it's important to know the basics. And I think that's what, that's what that film school, you know, education gave me. Um, and, um, and yeah, again, I, I mentioned this, but just the opportunity to make films, I guess you can do that on your own and, and, and and then I post it on YouTube or whatever. But you make films and and you have your peers to sort of uh, watch, watch it and and tell you what what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, and get a sense of you know what kind of filmmaker you are.
0: Oh, totally, yeah. Having having that sort of intense experience of like you know going to school and being so focused on it, and then having people that are a part of that same experience is only going to yield you know positive results for you to like you said have that feedback and have that um you know everybody's kind of on the same ship even though people have different visions and different ways that they want to take their talents um but just having that visceral experience you know i, I can only imagine just the uh, excitement that it creates too
1: yeah absolutely uh it's cool i mean you know usc itself has its has its drawbacks just in the sense of what kind of school it is and who who goes there and, and what kind of reputation it has. And, and, and in a sense, the film school itself was, you know, their mantra was, if you want to make art films, go to art school. Uh, and, uh, so, so you kind of had to work against that.
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure. Yeah. If you have a, um, you know, differing vision than what most people kind of approach, uh, with, you know, being, you know, looking at being like, oh, I want to be a, you know, really successful director. And like, you know, people are attaching their uh, artistic vision to the fact that they want to make a lot of money, you know, and and sometimes it's like, well, that, that, you know,
1: maybe, maybe that shouldn't be the first thought. Well, and that's, and that's, you know, you kind of know what you're getting into when you go to USC, you know, that's, that's what they foster. That's what they've always, uh that that, that was that's always been their their take on things, which which isn't necessarily my take on things.
0: Sure, sure. Um and since you were pursuing uh, you know this this passion and you know clearly you know uh, taking it uh, as seriously as you possibly could um, were there uh, I guess reservations from you know like your your parents or other peers where they were just like dude Michael like you know you, you, you have some talent and you know you got a good vision or whatever but like I'm kind of scared like how are you gonna how are you gonna feed yourself or was that kind of Something, yeah,
1: Michael. I've seen your films. What, what, what are you thinking? No, um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, dude, you're, you're not in this, so in it, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, was, I think it's very typical of anybody that's going into something, uh, like this where, where where your parents are like, Hey, have a fallback, you know, um, right, and uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I had that, but but I was, I'm pretty lucky in the sense of my folks were very very supportive and, and, you know, you know, my family and, and friends are supportive of what I do. So yeah, lucky in that respect.
0: That's cool. Yeah. That they, you know, gave you enough, uh, leash to play with, um, you know, to not uh, just be completely, you know, uh, going against everything, you know, your, your family being like, no, we're not supporting this. Like, you know, we don't, we, we want you to do something practical, like, you know, learn a trade, learn how to fix a car or something like that.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And, and my folks are like, you know, they're not, artists by any stretch of the imagination. They're, you know, very, <laughs> you know, my, my dad was, you know, came, you know, was a salesman, you know, insurance salesman and that, and, and my mother was a, you know, housewife and very sort of somewhat middle of the road types. So, uh, it is kind of a scary proposition to have your kid like go out, you know, 3000 miles away into the film business, which, you know, they, they let me do.
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, the notion of, uh, you know, everybody traveling to Los Angeles to make it in the biz. It's like that's such a, you know, an archetype and uh, a a common um, a common thing that uh, many people encounter across the country and are just like, oh, no, my son or daughter can't go out to the, you know,
1: the the, the big city. They'll be swallowed up. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Uh, I would you know coming from New York. I don't know if they would necessarily worried about, but you might have to ask them.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's well, funny you mentioned that, Michael. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's bring him on the call right now. No. (laughs) Um, And so then after you went through, uh, you know, USC and then started to, you know, get into the industry side of things, um, you uh, you were doing a lot of uh, writing and producing um, you know, I, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, since the veil has been peeled back a lot more on the industry side of things, you know, the past, whatever, 10 or 15 years where, um, you know, it, there's there's coverage of every single move that gets made um, from, you know, a production house doing a movie to, uh, you know, a, a executive head leaving one, you know, entertainment company to going to another one. Um, but, you know, as you were kind of navigating this world, um, is it that you would basically just kind of hop? project to project i'm just trying to kind of paint a picture of like you know how an actual person like yourself is able to kind of you know navigate through the world
1: yeah no uh, it's it's definitely it's a project to project um you know uh, you know you, sometimes you have agents who are who are getting you these different gigs um and and then you know you have to i mean for me i was making a living working in television as a producer and as a writer uh and um you know, still, still do, and but, but knowing that what I was doing at the time wasn't necessarily what I really set out to do, so I started doing these music videos, kind of as, as aside from my day job, uh, which is say writing or producing in television, and started directing music videos because I thought, you know, at some point I'm like, hold the phone, you know, it's like I'm I might be making money in this this field and 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 doing work in this industry that I'm, you know, came out here to work in, but the type of work I'm doing for my day job is, is, is not, is not what I really want to be doing. You know, it's so, uh, so I, I decided to just dive in and start making music videos at the time, choosing the perfect time when the music industry was like literally going off a cliff. So, um, so yeah, what I did was I, I, and I think a lot of people probably do this as well Is you start reaching out to bands or bands that you know of, and you say, Hey, um, you know, I'd like to do a music video for you. And they say, okay, cool. And they like, we don't have a budget, but do you, and you're like, Oh, well I put some, put together some money. And then I did a music video. I did a music video for a band called kill me tomorrow who are on a label called gold standard labs. And they're from San Diego. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm in LA, but we, uh, Zach, who's the main guy in that band, talked about our what we wanted to do, and they were putting together a kind of a concept album called The Garbage Man and The Prostitute, and they were doing a few different music videos. So they kind of took a, a leap of faith. I mean, I think they were a fan of a student film that I did, and I ended up doing a, vi- a video for them that that ended up uh, on their album. They, they released it on their album uh, along with a couple of other music videos. But that kind of is what got me some notice with other bands and other labels and you know afforded me to start doing other videos that i didn't have to pay for <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, that's really cool. I I, I always like, I I like that picture that you painted where it's like, you know, you you were working, um, you know, in the industry that you had uh, set forth to work in, uh, you know, but it wasn't maybe, you know, satisfying the creative itch. It satisfied the you know, the the fact that you were making money and making a living, but, you know, you were like, well, I want to do, I mean, uh, there is a really interesting through line in all of the bands that you have worked with just because, um, you know, whether or not they were on the same, you know, record label, which obviously they weren't, but like it was always, you always seem to work with those, you know, very uh, avant-garde left of center uh, bands like, you know, tripping into the, you know, the Justin Pearson universe of, you know, GSL and 31G and all those bands, like they were so, um, you know, not only stylistic, but that had a very, very strong stance musically, uh, ethically. And the fact that you were able to kind of go in there and work with bands in that orbit um, that, you know, that takes a lot of uh, uh, work and effort to be, you know, like not only to foster the trust, uh from human to human, but then also like, you know, being able to execute on a a vision that is, you know, not typical.
1: Yeah, no, it uh yeah, I mean like I said, I <clears throat> I don't think I'd ever met Zach from uh Kill Me Tomorrow when we started talking, but we did have similar tastes in a sense in in, in novels and and film and we were able to sort of meld those together. And uh so yeah I and and I think also mentioned this, but I, I really do enjoy collaborating with musicians on music videos. So with Zach in particular, you know, we had, you know, they had it was a concept album. And I they gave me the song, this call, song called Xerox My Hand, and and I kind of took the ball and ran with it. But in keeping in mind that I knew what sort of influences he was interested in, which were similar to influences that I had, whether it was like Philip K. Dick and JG Ballard. Um So, uh, so yeah, we had a like-mindedness, even though, uh, you know, we had never met in person. Uh, we obviously we did subsequently, uh, and then, and then moving through that, I think it's like, okay, people, some people were into kill me tomorrow or they dug that type of a video. So if you like that, there's a certain like-mindedness, you know? Uh, but also it took me out of my comfort zone to a certain degree. Like for instance, Cursive was a band that I listened to and I was into, but there were a couple other bands that I worked with that were, you know, I, I, not necessarily stuff that I, would, I was familiar with or that I picked up, but then I was, enjoyed working with them and was able to do cool stuff with them. Like, I mean, I did two music videos for a band called The Human Abstract. Uh, you're familiar with them, right? Did you work with them?
0: No, no. I, I just knew they, they existed in my world, but they, yeah, they were on a different label. But yeah, I mean, totally just like really, you know, out there sort of artistic metal.
1: True. Yes. So I guess yeah. Maybe the common bond is there's some sort of out there artistic side to their the music. But uh, yeah, we did two music videos that were just crazy big concepts and and really cool stuff. Uh, so yeah, that was a lot of them.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, that makes sense. Um, and that you know when when you are you know uh, doing like from the you know pr- the professional side of things not like the you know the music video pursuing your passion stuff um you know as you were working as a as a producer and a writer um you know what i guess what sort of stuff were you working on were you just working on like uh you know I mean, were you working on like soap operas were you working on like network tv
1: um yeah. i i wrote on some sitcoms uh i wrote i i, I produced uh, uh some reality tv for a while uh so yeah that that kind of stuff
0: got it. And so it's just, it, it spread across all, uh, I guess, different, <laughs> uh, ver- a variety of different, uh, voices and disciplines where it was like, oh, okay, now I'm now going to be working on, on this thing that I've never done before, but I'll, I can kind of figure it out.
1: Right. And then, and then say with reality, you know, one job leads to another needs to lead to another. And again, they, you know, well-paid stuff and, and, you know, certainly, you know, it, enjoyable in terms of just doing the work and trying to, you know, trying to make the best out of what you're given and 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 you know, learning a lot too and meeting some really good people. For instance, a lot of you know the people that I brought on to this film say as editors were people I've met in television, and uh, and and I think you know this film is a good is a good step for them. And then they've some of them have gone on to since the film have gone on to you know bigger things and better things. For instance. Uh, my producer, my partner on this, is a guy named Josh Crockett, who I, you know, we met working on a, you know, a television clip show. And I kind of I brought him on to it. And now he's there's this movie Tag, I think, that's coming out today. And he's the editor on that. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. And he also is. Um, yeah, he's a he's a director himself. He since my film, he directed a sort of a micro budget film that's going to be released on, uh, I think, you know, VOD or something coming out pretty soon.
0: Yeah. No, that's, it's really cool because I, I think the, you know, another kind of commonality between, you know, basically entertainment industries in general is, you know, fostering that, that collaborative nature of like working with people you trust and then finding those relationships and keeping those relationships, you know, and not like keeping them, you know, from a selfish transactional standpoint, but being like, no, I really respect the work that this person does. And like, I would like to figure out a way to work with them more in the future. Cause um, you know, no, no man is an Island when it comes to executing your artistic vision. And if you are like you're, you're, you know, <laughs> an auteur, as they say, but it, it's cool. It's cool that you can do that. Cause the same thing exists obviously with bands playing with one another, you know, they just want to play with their friends, bands and people they trust and go out on the road with them and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, you, you develop a common bond. I mean, I think, uh, Josh is someone who, uh, you know, we you you work together in in the capacity of saying working on a TV show and you and you develop a rapport. But, it, you know, you see there is there's a talent there. So you start, you know, hiring them or getting them to work on. I mean, he cut a, a bunch of music videos that I did as well. And and then, you know, I think anybody working in television or whether they're working in reality, I don't think anybody. Well, maybe that's a, not necessarily true, but. I would say most people don't want to be doing what they're doing, you know They want bigger and better and they want to work in film and they want to work on like you know Breaking Bad or you know sort of a top quality television show. Uh, so yeah, everybody's looking for a step up, and everybody's looking to do creative stuff
0: yeah, totally yeah it's it's very hard to be able to I guess kind of hit that sweet spot of of marrying exactly what it is you want to work on. And then, you know, having that thing also be, you know, your your ultimate paycheck or whatever. It's like, you know, there's there's different variations of that. And you can still, you know, be successful, even though one one of those things may not be like 100 percent satisfied. It's like, oh, yeah, you can still be happy with, yeah. with, with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, look I, I, you know, I think it's everybody's goal is to be doing something that they absolutely love and they're passionate about and and to make a living at it um if you're able to do that then you're you know way ahead of the game
0: yeah absolutely um and so kind of you know uh, focusing more okay. on the uh
1: well, well I was going to say we oh, one ahead. you know was going to the interview we did uh with Thurston Moore i mean he was talking about musicians and he said you know if you can make a living like a living at base level and playing in a band then you know, you've, you've won, you know, you've succeeded. Uh, you know, if you can make a, if you can play in a band and not, you know, not have a day job, then, then you've won the game. So,
0: right. <laughs> no, it, it's a very, very valid point. Um, so it, kind of turning the focus on, uh, you know, the Acres line must die. Um, I, I found it like, you know, when, when that came across my you know, inbox and I was just like, Oh wow. Like I, I hadn't reckoned with that band, uh, in my head for quite some time. Um, and it, it was just one of those things I was instantly intrigued just because, I mean, I think anybody that existed in the early aughts an independent music, uh, you know, was aware of the band, either by reputation alone or the, their connection to Buddyhead. Like, you know, they they clearly uh, elicited a reaction, you know, um, and then, you know, watching the film, it was one of those things where I, uh, you know, I was taken by the fact that you were uh you know it's this mix of you know n- narrative fiction and then also a lot of truth that is uh you know sort of the the, the documentary style of you know how you're portraying certain aspects of the film um but and then also, obviously, using the actual—it's not like you were hiring an actor to play Joe in the band or anything like that. Um, and I think because of that, you know, it kind of just feels like a—you know—I mean, everyone, I'm sure, will compare uh, this this film to you know something. that's like, oh yeah, this is very uh, you know Jim Jarmusch esque, um, and it, it felt and uh, it, it felt real, like you were talking about earlier—the sort of authentic nature of it. Um, you know, as you were kind of building this thing up with Joe in your head and kind of working collaboratively with it um was that basically kind of the the bible in which you approached uh, every decision towards the film on
1: the bible meaning what would jarmusch do no or uh, no, or,
0: no or, or just of the just the i guess the authenticness of it you know the fact that like we are just trying yeah. to capture
1: this well, well yeah i mean you know certainly that what i was trying to do was make a movie that I mean, I wanted to make a movie at all costs, but um, and I've written many feature scripts, and I I know they take a long time. It, it takes me a long time to write a feature, you know. Used to maybe kind of knock out two in a year, but maybe, maybe it takes me six months to write a script or so. And but I wanted to make a m- movie now, and and I thought, well, how do we do that? And I, uh, um, I thought, well, perhaps what we can do is we can you know follow the sort of micro budget uh, uh, kind of model, almost like Kirby enthusiasm, uh sure. the way they, they shoot things is they'll they kind of devise this, this very detailed outline and then they uh, you know and they have great you know, great actors and they're, they're able to improv it. But I thought well why don't we use that model for this, sort of like Kirby enthusiasm, but but not a comedy. Uh, and it's funny, I was Pearl Charles is in the picture and she's a musician and, and I was describing that to her. And because we're in Hollywood, she's like, oh, it's funny that you mentioned curve the Enthusiasm because uh, my father happens to uh, had directed many of those. I'm like, really? I had no clue. Yeah. Larry Charles is my dad. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I think he directed the Borat movie and yeah, he's he's done a lot of big things. Uh, so it was anyway. Yeah. So that's the idea was. Um, how could I do immediately? And I and I've always loved those movies from the late seventies, uh, early eighties, that no wave era of filmmaking, that uh, very sort of punk rock school of filmmaking that Jim Jarmusch came out of. There's a there's a director you named know, Amos Poe. There's also there's a movie called Blank Generation that's you know, very much of that kind of CBGB's make movies on the street, uh, cast people you know, artists, filmmakers uh, musicians in these roles, they had a real raw vibe to them and a very authentic feel. And I thought, well, you know, if you go into, if I going into this film, uh, or, or the idea of making a movie, this was a great world to, to explore in LA, sort of transpose that New York vibe into the LA scene. And both Joe and I, um, you know, we have a lot of contacts in the L.A. music scene, and I thought maybe we can pool those together and make a rock and roll movie because um, I I love that and I love that sort of vibe. But I don't feel like I've seen a movie like this or a movie that utilized punk recently. You know, I love I mean, I love Repo Man. Repo Man is one of my favorite pictures And but, you know, that was a long time ago that movie came out and they're very few and far between. There's a green room, but green rooms more of a thriller. You know, that's totally. Yeah, Yeah. I I wouldn't. I mean, it has comes out of the rock and roll world, but it's not you're not watching performance and just kind of getting off on seeing, you know, great performance on screen. So that's what I wanted to do.
0: Yeah. No, I, it makes sense and I I think that's what uh, you know uh, I mean even though I live in Orange County I've existed in you know Los Angeles for uh, a long time and it, it you know it really felt um so you know it, it it felt reflective over where these people and these bands like you know you're not you're not pulling any not like you needed to pull any punches but it's just like yes like of course you're going to have the echo in there and of course you're going to have all of these places where it's just like in my head, I would never think about it in those terms to like actually execute the vision of you know getting something on film. But it's just like, oh yeah, of course, if you're going to be doing you know a film based around the Icarus line, like, and it's set in you know 2018 as opposed to you know 2002, like, of course they'd play the echo and like all of those steps. It just felt like, oh yeah, this was done right, you know, like which which is what you were trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah, well, I I mean, we shot. A, a big performance of the Icarus line, uh, at, at the Echoplex. I mean, it was an actual real performance that they did there. Um, so it was a natural, but I also wanted to have, the film is very much also a Highland park film, but I wanted to give a sense of the, that our scene, you know, which, which encompasses Highland park and Echo park, uh, to, to a big degree. So it was important to me to have these landmarks in a sense, in the picture. I mean, Joe and, and, uh, Charlotte, his wife, you know, are eating at Burrito King, uh, which is on the corner of, uh, uh, Alvarado and sunset. And that just always just strikes me as like, yeah, you go to Burrito King after a show, you know, and that's, I I wanted to have these places that are very much part of this scene and this, this world that we're in to give that give that sense to people who maybe aren't from LA and don't know it. I wanted to have, you know, every location was important like that.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Cause it, it is, it's, um, you know, the, the whole film is a snapshot of a, you know, a, a journey. Um, and so having all of those beats, you know, from moving, moving from one scene to another, um, it like, in a way it's like if you experience it and you live in this world, like you could almost, you know, close your eyes and kind of like, you know, write it instinctually, you know, you could be like, Oh yes, of course. Like you said, you know, after a show you'd be going to the, you know, one of two places and most likely it would be, you know, burrito King. And then, you know, the way that a studio would look, you kind of close your eyes and envision it. Um, you know, but then for people that maybe only have kind of a, a topical knowledge of this stuff, they can see a side that doesn't, like you said, you know, Previously, it doesn't get, you know, represented where it's like, I haven't seen a film like that, that kind of documents not only a band and a person's journey, but then kind of the how this scene sort of operates and the, you know, the, the proverbial players within it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's and I think it's with anything that I do and, and, and it's a fun thing to do is kind of creating a world and creating a world for people. Maybe who aren't familiar with it and haven't seen this world before, and I think again, you know working on a limited budget we are able to do that even given that we had a limited budget. We're able to do that um so that's cool you know it's it's all these things that you're able to do, even though if you don't have a budget, you're able to show people something they haven't- done, seen before, which i you know that's that's a goal
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the, um, you know, the fact that the kind of what I was saying before, where it's like, you know, the movie is, um, factually based in regards to, you know, these are actual experiences that, you know, Joe and the band have had, whether it's, you know, signing to a major label and, you know, the ups and downs of, of what that, happens when you're still trying to, you know, do a band when, you know, your quote unquote arguable commercial peak was, you know, 10 years ago, um, and the, but then you know it's obviously hung around a you know loose narrative in regards to um you know what what could potentially be happening if this were you know set in a a, a fictionalized ish uh fictionalized ish story um why why did you want to kind of root have that sort of balance of like rooted in reality because I mean you know clearly you could have just taken the Acres line as a band and kind of you know done a million weird things with it um, that weren't based in uh, in truth. Uh, how come you kind of wanted to you know sort of mesh those two worlds together?
1: well, it was two things one i you know I had this idea that I wanted to make this a no wave movie in Los Angeles, and I thought Joe was a very compelling figure to focus and center the music uh, the movie upon and then his story at the time we started making the movie was really interesting to me. Um, he's, you know, 36 years old. He was about to be 36 years old. He was, um, he was about to get married. He still had the Icarus line. He was about to release this record. And, and it's an interesting time in someone's life, you know, as a musician, as a musician who's, you know, had some success, had some acclaim and, you know, fa- fast forward 15 years later and you're still doing it. And I think that's very much relatable to me, to I think a lot of other musicians and people who just consider themselves, you know, creative people uh, kind of to keep the flame going and and. Uh, but but at the same time you're growing up you're becoming an adult you're no longer a kid you're no longer you know spray painting you know sucking dicks on the uh, strokes bus tour bus you know right um, you know you're you're now you know you have a house you know you have to pay a mortgage and it's a scary time and and how do you how do you uh, uh, deal with that so that's what I thought was interesting that that's kind of why I chose this path and. And everything in it is very true to Joe's life, and and the, and the scenes are very. I mean, they're they're called from his experiences.
0: Yeah. Oh no, it's cool, and, and I think that it 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 works on both levels. Like one, if you are familiar with this, the you know journey of the Icarus line, and then it works on the other side if you're just like, no, I, I have no idea, um, you know, what this band is, but like you can see the uh, kernels of truth and be like, oh yeah, I could see why that would feel that way or why that would look that way and um, yeah I just think it's uh, it's cool so basically I'm trying to tell you you did a good job Michael <laughs> thanks so much yeah of course well dude thank you so much for letting me walk you through a, a, a bunch of different things in regards to the uh, you know, combo of, of, of music and, and film because I think that uh, some people might not automatically put those two together but I always have so I just I, I appreciate you walking me through that
1: absolutely I, I thank you for giving me the opportunity
0: Okay, that was Michael Grodner, the director of The Icarus Line Must Die. And uh, yeah, I feel like a true journalist where I'm like, you know, doing my appropriate plugs for the, the films and stuff <laughs> and, and saying the right title as opposed to just being like, oh, whatever, I'm having a person on. But anyways, thank you very much, Michael, for coming on the show. And uh, I hope you enjoy that conversation because uh, I, I think many of you that get attracted to independent subculture also have a large love of movies. And I know myself, I definitely fall into that category. So it was nice to nerd out about music and film as well. So what do I have next week? I have Jason Gleason from further seems forever. And where actually, I met him. Uh, he played in a band called action reaction and he also played in a ton of other bands. I, uh, I did a little Facebook lurking on him and I messaged him and I was like, Jason, I, I know you don't do much of these because press is kind of weird for you. Would you be interested in this? And he was stoked to do it. So next week's conversation is, um, I, I know it sounds like I say it every week, where it's, oh, it's incredible, it's awesome. But uh, this one is, is really a treat. So you better make sure that you are subscribed. And if you're not, then you're dumb, okay? Well, not. no, that's mean. You're not dumb. But you should listen to next week's episode. So that's what I got for you. And uh, yeah, hopefully you're having a great summer. Until next week, be safe, everybody.